Father in heaven, thank you for this time together, and uh, we thank you that you have drawn us to yourself, and you have delivered us from the domain of darkness, and you have transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. We are under obligation to take the gospel to the nations, beginning right here in Houston. And so, Lord, we pray that this time would be helpful, productive, instructional, encouraging to each and every one of us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about uh, evangelism, door-to-door evangelism, and kind of give you an idea biblically of uh, what to do. Now, you remember in Paul's farewell address to the elders of Ephesus while at Miletus, he says, um, I was serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials which came upon me through the plot of the Jews and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything profitable but teaching you publicly and from house to house, testifying solemnly to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember several years ago, I had the opportunity of preaching at the Greek Bible Institute in Athens, Greece, and then at uh, uh, an evangelical church there right at the, uh, uh, right below the, uh, the Areopagus, and uh, what's that, I can never remember what that's called, you know, the, huh? The Acropolis. Acropolis, I never can remember that, the Acropolis. So anyway, my wife and I one day went up to the Acropolis and looked around, and it's pretty amazing if you've ever seen it. It's incredible. And then as we're about to go down, because I wanted to go to to Mars Hill, and as you look down the hill, Mars Hill's just a little rock. It's nothing spectacular at all. And so uh, we went, and I I quoted uh, Paul's Areopagus address to her, and we walked around. I took a couple of funny pictures of me like I'm preaching on the rock, you know, like Paul did. Then we decided... It was time to go down the hill and get us some good Greek food. I love Mediterranean food. So we're walking down the hill from Mars Hill, and there are the ancient ruins of the Agora, which Luke also mentions in Acts, where Paul is ministering basically door-to-door in the Agora, the ancient marketplace. And I thought, you know, Paul was always on the move as an evangelist. I believe that Paul's primary gift was evangelist. He was an apostle, of course. But he's always moving, and he would establish churches. Then he would leave another teacher, elder-type guy behind, and he'd go on to the next place. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Paul apparently began his ministry about 48 A.D., And by 58 A.D., 10 years later, he's established churches on four Roman provinces in uh, Galatia, um, Asia Minor, uh, Macedonia, and Achaia. And the last 10 years of his life, he's pretty much in legal trouble, (laughs) dealing with all the problems. But it's amazing. Ten years And he established churches in all of those areas. And how did he do it? 
under the power of the Holy Spirit, but he was moving all the time. He had a methodology. And I think we need a methodology. I want you to look at Luke chapter 10 for just a moment. This is a familiar passage. And uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, uh, the Lord Jesus is appointing the 70, or sometimes the 72, to go out uh, two by two to uh, every city and place where he himself was going to come. Now, it's interesting also in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 4 beginning, you have, Paul, you have Jesus' early Galilean ministry. And we know now that he set up, he set up at, uh, at the city of Capernaum on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we now know there were about 120 little towns or villages within a one to two days walk of Capernaum. Jesus was very strategic. Then we're told later on in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus visited every one of them. Jesus was always on the move and he's training his disciples to be on the move. In Matthew chapter 10, He's calling the 12 to go out. Now, in Luke chapter 10, it's the 70 going out. And I, I really, it's interesting, this, this Bible I'm using here is the New American Standard. This is the old New American Standard. This is the one that was done about 1973. And a couple of years ago, I, got, I ordered a new one, a smaller one, that was easier to carry around. Then, I, lo and behold, I realized that's the new old New American Standard. So I don't like it as much. This, to me, is much better. And I really love the way it handles this passage. And uh, so let me read the first few verses. What you'll notice here, of course, you all know the passage. Jesus is calling the 70 to go two by two in all of these towns. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, verse 2, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of the wolves. No Joel Osteen teaching here. It could be tough, you know. You're lambs. You're going out in the midst of wolves. Could be rough out there. You got to depend completely on me. Carry no purse. No bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. In other words, just go straight there. Now here's what I want you to focus on. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages... Do not keep moving from house to house. If a man of peace is there. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't tell us specifically, but if, again, if you look at the context in verse 7, and stay in his house, eating and drinking. So think about this. If you are a stranger and you're knocking on somebody's door and they let you into the house, for whatever reason they seem to be predisposed towards you, like yesterday. Remember? 
we knocked on, we knocked on a lot of doors. The first, uh, one of the first doors we knocked on was an Anglo guy who welcomed us into his house. I, I'm always looking, when I do, I'm always looking around for clues for things. And I noticed he had a cross on the wall. Then he lets us in, and then he's got a thing about, you've got to choose this day whom you'll serve, right? So I knew immediately the guy's a Christian. But, so he, but he welcomed us in. Then we came a little bit later to a Hispanic family, and they let us in, and they're Christians. My point is that a man of peace is someone who's open to the message. Now, clearly, in this text, it doesn't mean they're already believers. But for whatever reason, God has prepared them to hear the message. So, Jesus is sending them out. You're totally dependent upon me. And as you go out, look for people who are open. If they're open and they bring you into their house, go in, eat with them, eat what they give you, and so forth. Jesus is sending them out because he wants to know who's receptive to the message. Because later on he says, if they're not receptive, wipe the dust from your feet and move on to the next town. So this is my model for door-to-door evangelism. We pray. You've got to pray and you've got to ask God to lead you to the people who are prepared. And we know that none understand, none seek for God. Together they've all turned aside. Together there's none none righteous, there's not even one. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So that's what we expect when you knock on the person's door. Unless the Lord is working in their lives or unless they're already born again, they're not interested. They're just not. We know that. But we're praying for God to open the hearts of people to hear the gospel. So, when I go out and when I encourage churches to go out, you're praying ahead of time. And then you're being very strategic. You draw a map up of the community. Okay, this week we're going to go on this particular street. We're going to have our tracks. We're going to have uh, surveys or whatever else we're going to use. And we're going to go... And we're going to trust God to lead us to the people who are open. When you knock on the first door, there's nobody there. I'm not discouraged by that. I leave a gospel tract, information about the church. I move on to the next door. If nobody's home, I don't worry about that. I'm looking for the one. I'm looking for the one or two, one out of ten, one out of fifty, one out of a hundred, whatever it is. They're out there. How do I know they're out there? Because we've been praying for God to lead us to people who are open. So I don't get discouraged if somebody slams a door in our face. That doesn't happen a whole lot. Sometimes it does. I'm not worried about that. I'm looking for the one or the two a time. So I really try to encourage churches to do this. Think about this for just a second. Uh, if you, if you could devote two hours a week to evangelism, door-to-door evangelism, we're all busy, you know, very busy. Mark's getting this church started. He's over church planting in the area. You know, you guys don't have the time, and you're probably not gifted evangelists anyway who love to do this stuff all the time, right? Evangelists love this kind of stuff. Most of us don't. You know, we know we got to do it, but we don't really enjoy it a whole lot. But if you can say two hours a week, 
two by two, maybe two teams, whatever, two hours, we find the best time, we go out, and we're looking for the one. That's all. Maybe you're able to share the full gospel with the person. Maybe they call on the name of the Lord. Maybe not. Maybe they show some interest. Like yesterday, we're talking to Fancha. Okay, when she answered the second EE question, she gave a works-oriented answer. The longer we talked, we began to think, well, maybe she really is a believer, but she's going to church and doesn't teach anything. So that kind of helped us understand. But she's got some needs in her family. And, you know, I think we got her address and so forth. I think we got her phone number. If not, we got her address. And, you know, I think that's somebody we can go back to. You know, she... Maybe she's a believer, maybe she's not, but she has needs, all right? So now, Fansha, as an example, is in what I call the pipeline. The pipeline leads from the first conversation all the way through to them becoming Christians and needing to be discipled. And to use a sales uh, terminology... A good salesman realizes that he must always be prospecting, always looking for new business. If he waits, if, if he gets a sale and then he relaxes for a couple of weeks or whatever, that's no good. My second son is an insurance producer and he was with Hub International. He's now a vice president of a company in Birmingham. He's a born salesman. The guy just can talk to anybody. And most of us aren't like that. But he's, he's got all these guys working for him now that he's training. And so one of these guys a, few, a couple months ago wrote a big, big deal, a big uh, piece of business. And the guy was kind of relaxing. Allison, no, 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 you can't relax, man. You got to stay at it. Well, that, that, that was good, but you can't live off that. You got to keep it going, you know. And the natural tendency for us is to kind of relax. Well, I've done that. No. A good salesman, and Stephen, I've talked about this, he's always, ABC, always be closing. He's always looking for new opportunities. So we got, we got Fancha in the pipeline, let's, let's assume for a second. That's good, but we don't wait on just that one because guess what? That may never turn out. Or it may, it may turn into something six months from now or two years from now. But if you're going to build a church, you've got to have lots of people in the pipeline unless you just want to build a church of other believers. And that's not what we're after, right? Now, if there's other believers who want to come, fine, but that's not what we're after. We're after reaching the lost people of this community, right? That's what we want to do. So let's assume that we have one or two or three people in the pipeline from this past week's work. These are, this is where the spiritual gifts come in. The evangelists are those who are acting as evangelists. You know, we're all sort of imposters, right? You know, we're, we're doing the work of an evangelist, but we're really not evangelists, all right? But we're out there. So the evangelists or those doing the work of an evangelist get one or two people in the pipeline and then this is where the other gifts come in. Once they call on the name of the Lord, then the teachers come in and they begin to disciple. And maybe, maybe they're not even Christians yet, but maybe they've got marital trouble. Well, then there's somebody in the church who can give some counsel on marital trouble. Uh, this young lady we met yesterday, 
here's where the mercy ministry needs come in. There may be somebody in the church that says, you know, I know how to help people with special needs. You know, uh, I, maybe I can put her, if she needs some help with, you know, child care or whatever you want to call it, maybe there's somebody who could work with that and put that together. My point is, is that these teaching gifts, the evangelizing gifts, the mercy ministry gifts can all come into play in helping people in the pipeline come along, okay? Now, <clears throat> two hours a week, let's assume that you did that. And let's assume that you did that for a year. And let's assume you had one person a week. Guess what? After a year, you got 50 people in your pipeline. Now, here's, here's one problem with that. And I, I saw this in a little church uh, in Georgia. They began to see some real, um, this was a very poverty-stricken area. I don't, this, this community doesn't strike me that way, all right? So maybe you don't have the same needs, but there were some poor people that needed a lot of, a lot of help. And this little bitty church, there was like five or six people that needed some help, and it was too much for this little church. You mean you can kind of outkick your coverage if you know what I'm talking about, you know? So you got to be careful there. You can't do, you might, you know, let's put it this way. If you had, if maybe halfway through the year, you got 20 or 25 people you're working on that are in your pipeline, and it's starting to be overwhelming, then you kind of pull back on the throttle and say, wait a second now, this is a good thing. But, you know, we don't have enough people here to really minister to these folks, so we're going to have to kind of pull back on the evangelism for a little while or, you know, bring in some help from, uh, bring in some, help from some other places, you know, whatever. But the point is, is that you want to try to, you want to, try to build a pipeline. And um, I think that that is uh, really what I would, that I'm really after when we talk about evangelizing. And um, that's something that, that everybody can get involved in. One other thing that um, I learned from um, uh, Wes Holland, and uh, I think I've mentioned this to one or two of you guys, I think this is brilliant. Uh, Wes wrote me a few weeks ago, and he says, you know, I'm doing the door-to-door -door evangelism like you instructed us to do, Henry and you, but, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm sort of a coward, and I was really having a hard time going cold turkey door to door. So I came up with this. What do you think about this? He said, here's what I'm doing. I get the addresses, the land addresses of everybody on the street, and I write them a letter, and I put it in the mail. And, the, and he sent me a copy of the letter. The letter says, I am Wes Holland. I pastor the Westminster Presbyterian Church, Brandon, Florida. I'm trying to learn how to better understand the needs of people. You know, people's views of religion and God have changed over the years. I wonder if you could help me out by letting me come by your house, say between 3 and 4.30 on Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon this week, and, and, and let me ask you these five questions, and here they are. And these are five questions I came up with, ones we went over yesterday. He's kind of put them in a little different wording, which I like his wording, actually. And then he says... If you're not interested, here's my email address. Just email me. Tell me you don't want me to come and I won't come. 
but if you want me to come, I'll be there between 3 and 4.30, either Saturday or Sunday. He says, that takes the pressure off me, and I kind of think it takes the pressure off them too. I said, well, how's it going? He goes, it's amazing. He said, I have all kind of people say, please come by. And some of them are Christian people, and they say, would you pray for, I've got this need, would you pray for us? By the way, I got on your website, I like your church, maybe we'll come. And then he's had good gospel conversations with unbelievers. Yeah, I'd like to tell you what I think about Christianity or about God or whatever, and that's given him open doors. So that's a really creative way of doing it. And people will be amazed because they never get letters anymore. Wow, a real letter, look at that. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels between sales and this. Now that, I don't want to be so crass as to say you know evangelism is just sales. No, but clearly you can see some of the parallels, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I think we should do. And if we can, if we would just commit to it, and I don't know when that time is. You got to find the right time to do it. But just commit to it. And, uh, and, and be taking people with you that maybe have never done this before because some of these people will catch you on very quick. Like Steve yesterday was getting it very quickly, you know. He, he can do it now. He doesn't, need it. You know, he doesn't need my help now. He's got it. And so, uh, you know, so you, we just learn. So any questions about that before we have some prayer? Absolutely. You're getting all the gifts involved. You're getting all the people involved. So we're just there as, hey, here we are. With right. Kind of exactly, yeah. And it may be, it may be there. Well, another example I give a lot of times is you might run across an older person who just lost their husband. And they're lonely. Well, you might have somebody in the church, an older person, says, you know, I bet so-and-so could be of help to the person. Maybe if she just go by and sit with that person, you know, one time, see what happens. Take them a meal or whatever. And maybe nothing happens, but then maybe something does happen. There's a ministry. Maybe they come into the church. Maybe they don't. But at least you're ministering to the people, and you're getting all your people involved, see? Because not everybody's going to feel comfortable doing the evangelism thing, right? But there are people who love mercy ministry. We had this woman in our church in Connecticut. It was kind of frustrating to me because she never would open her mouth about Jesus. She was so timid, you know? And yet, recently, my wife was in Connecticut visiting, and um, she said, oh, do you want to go see Fran? Fran was this older woman who was amazing in our church, just incredible. She learned E when she was like 75 years old, went out on the street, it was amazing. But Fran was getting very old, and she's got dementia, okay? So when he went to see her, and Cara, our friend, who has the gift of mercy like I've never seen, when he says it was amazing, watching Kara minister to this woman. <coughs> you know, she says, beautiful. Because when he says, I'm just not that way, I'm not either. But the gift of mercy was so 
beautifully displayed and how she comes right along. She said, now, Fran, Winnie's here. Do you remember Winnie? Oh, yes. Oh, she's Al's wife. And she loved me. She always talks about me, you know. And he says, oh, she, only, she just wants to talk about you. She doesn't really care about me. <laughs> but my point is, is that, that Cara was able to reach her. In, and Cara's been going by her, going by to see her for the last seven years. Another thing, somebody tried to rip her off and, and get some kind of court injunction to get her money. It was bad. Cara got involved, told my wife about it. My wife talked to an attorney in Birmingham, said we can get around that, which they did, and now she's got her money back. She's back in her own home. These are just practical ways that you can minister to people, right? And there's, yeah, look, you know this, there's people, every, every family's got issues, right? Everybody's got issues. You don't know what they are. That's the beauty of this. You just go, sometimes people just open up to you, boom, there it is. Right away they're opening up to you. Maybe other times they don't. But again, you're looking for the one. Just one. One person every time you go out. And now, after a while, you got a whole bunch of people to minister to. Amen? Yeah, I think that's right. That, that's another thing I do in the church. When I do this stuff on church planting, I have a, a course I call Apostolic Church Planting, and I, I really talk about those Bible studies. And what I, what I tell people is this. I, you know, people obviously study the Gospel of John. John's good, of course, but I like Mark. And I tell you, the reason I like Mark is it's quick-hitting, and it's stories. It's, not, it's, not, it's narratives, and narratives are easier to explain. Because what I'll do is I'll say, now, when you study this passage, just take one of the stories in Mark's gospel. Then you say, you say, okay, let's read it together. And then I got three questions. Number one, you're speaking this to unbelievers. What does this tell you about God or Jesus, the story? What do you say? And so you let them talk. You know, they might be right. They might be wrong. But let them talk, right? Okay. Secondly, what does this passage tell you about people? You know, those Pharisees, those are bad guys, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, so you, you ask them what they think about that. And then at the end you say, now, what do you think we're supposed to do with that? And I remember reading a while back where a guy was doing a ministry in a really rough part of uh, Appalachia, I think it was. And, and he was dealing with just alcoholics and drug addicts and everything else. And, and uh, he started teaching all these people and they said, so what do you think we should do? This is the story about the four men who brought their, their friend to, the, to Jesus and lowered him through the roof. And he said, well, we, here's what we need to do. Phyllis, you know Phyllis, right? Phyllis is an alcoholic. And Phyllis has got real health issues. And we need to get Phyllis to the doctor. But the problem is, every time we try to get her to the doctor, she's drunk. I think what we should do 
is I think we should make sure Phyllis doesn't drink the day before so that we can get her to the doctor. Now, these are people who are not yet Christians talking. These are, these are drug addicts themselves, okay? But they're all helping each other. And, you know, and the guy's writing, he's after a couple, six or seven months, most of these people were converted. We're talking, we're talking poor people from Appalachia who are on drugs and alcohol, haven't worked in, you know, 30 years, you know? These kind of people, and they're coming to faith in Christ. And I think that, I think that's, but you're right. You get the word into the, even though they don't know it yet and believe it, get the, turn the word of God loose on them. So if you can get a study going, by all means, do it. That's a great way to do it. And, and I believe, I believe it should have, it should be closed, close-ended. In other words, three, we're going to study for three weeks. And by the way, why don't you bring, why don't you think about three or four of your family members or friends you can bring next week? You're trying to work multiplication in, Okay. And let me say one other thing about that, that because uh, I don't want to discourage you, but, um, you know, people that are different than us typically find it difficult to worship the way we worship, okay? We got the organ here. We got the Trinity hymnal. In my experience, it's been a lot of times these people won't come to church, at least at first. Here's what I've learned, and I, I believe this is what's happening in, in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian uh, in Philippi. Paul reaches the, the uh, woman at Thyatira, you know, from Thyatira. She obviously has got some money. She's got some prestige. She's, in, she's from a different culture, okay? Then he reaches the, the uh, poor girl, probably like sex trafficking, you know, the, the demon-possessed girl. Then he, meets, then he reaches the Philippian jailer who's kind of a, you know, to use modern lines, middle class, you know, guy. He's kind of a government worker type guy. You've got three different types of people there. And Paul, it says, and Luke, Luke tells us that the first part, he's going into Lydia's household. And then in the latter part, it says, uh, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, you and your house. And so I think in the beginning, you had a ch the church in Philippi was Lydia's household. We're not sure what happened with the girl because it doesn't say she was converted. She probably was. But then the Philippian jailer, probably a church going on there as well. I think later when Paul's writing back to Philippi, he's writing to the church at Philippi. By that time, they might be one. Here's my point. If you get one or two people from a different culture that call on the name of the Lord, for them to come into the church might be difficult. Don't get discouraged. Here's what you do. You say, why don't we, why don't we have a Bible? Let's, let's, let's have another Bible study. Do you have some other family members you could bring to the, to the Bible study? Don't even think about church yet. And then when they get saved, now you have maybe eight or ten. Let me put it this way. When I was, when I was in Connecticut, we, had, um, we saw 12 young black men come to Christ. And they all came to church. But I tell you, if it had been one or two, it might have been difficult. But when you had 10 or 12, there was safety in numbers. See my point? So you, you, reach, you reach into these lives of these people, and you start ministering to them. Their lives start to change. You're having a study in their home. you got 10, 12, 20 people coming. Guess what? One of these days, you say, look, why don't you come on to church? And they'll come. And they'll, be, and they'll accept what you're doing in worship because they know you love them and you care for them and you've been ministering to them. 
like those young black guys. We're, you know, it was, it, was, it was cool. They're all wearing their hip-hop gear, and we're, we're having orchestra. We're singing out of the Trinity hymn. I got a suit on. My wife's got her skirt and pearls on. They're sitting right next to her. It's beautiful, you know? But I tell you, if it had been one or two, I don't, I don't know that it would have worked. Well, I th- That's right. That's right. That's right. The gang members bring them in, and they, the gang members are evangelizing. That's right. That's right. And they're, they're, they're saying, come on in. You'll be one of us. We accept you. And so that's, that's what they look for. Yeah, and that's what we need here, too. Yeah. Good stuff. Exactly. Because, see, when we were in Connecticut, we saw all kinds of people in the north end of Hartford calling the name of the Lord. These were Hispanic, a lot, a lot of Puerto Rican people, a lot of African-American people. And it was in a poor community. We were in a very affluent community. It never, it never translated. It was very frustrating to us because we'd go out. We'd see, we were excited. You know, all these people calling the name of the Lord. It never translated into becoming members of our church. It was very discouraging. I said, then I, started, I was reading. Acts, studying this whole thing about church planting. I said, wait a second, this is what Paul did in Acts 16. I said, Paul, Paul's not sweating the ethnicity difference. I mean, ultimately, he wants them all together, okay, because that's right. But he's not sweating it, you know. He's letting it play out, it seems to me. So. That's right, and we want it to break it down. You know, we don't, want to, we don't want to accept the status quo, but we have to kind of start where we are, you know, and kind of build toward that unity in the body of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we only have about two minutes, so let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Let me ask just one or two of you guys to pray uh, briefly, then I'll close this out, all right? Let's pray.